Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 21st, 2017. On today's show, we'll be talking about a bunch of news, including a director for the Akira live-action movie, Matthew Vaughn's original plans for a young Wolverine movie, and its hopes and dreams for Kingsman 3 and spinoff films. Game of Thrones has yet another spinoff prequel show in development. We'll talk about that. And also, a returning cast member, for the future of the Terminator franchise. Uh, this is Peter Serrata, and on today's show with me is Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. Uh, we have a skeleton crew here today. As Just uh, the two of us. <laughs> yeah, just as um, Jacob is getting his Fantastic Fest stuff ready, and uh, HT is traveling overseas for something we can't specify, and um, that you'll see probably in a year. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's just the two of us. Um, but there has been a lot of news, so let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, Akira is one of those movies that I think uh, a lot of people don't need to see a live action movie made and uh hollywood has been trying to make a live action movie for quite some time and i honestly didn't think there could be something to get me interested in an akira live action movie but last night some news came out and you wrote it up for the site yes uh taika waititi the director of the upcoming thor ragnarok he's the new zealand filmmaker behind uh, that movie and as well as like a bunch of smaller sort of comedies like the hunt for the wilder people and what we do in the shadows he is actually the next person that warner brothers has tapped to potentially direct this movie so we should say right up front that nothing is officially signed yet but he is in talks to direct the live action akira film which as you mentioned has been in development in one form or another since probably right around 2008, so almost 10 years now. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio and his Appian Way Productions acquired the rights to make a live-action film back then, and at that point, DiCaprio himself was supposed to be starring in the movie. That obviously is not happen- happening anymore since he's so much older than these uh, the characters. But um, Akira is based on 
1988 film from uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, who turned an anime, his, like, he basically created an anime film out of a manga that he created as well. And if you don't know anything about this property, you probably haven't been reading movie blogs for the past 10 years, because it seems like every few months, one of these, you know, one site or another is writing the latest update about what the hell is going on with the live action Akira movie. But Taika Waititi, man, I think, you know, he could be the guy to finally get this damn thing made already. Uh, I feel like he's a far more interesting choice than a lot of the people that they had, you know, attached to the film in the, in the various uh, incarnations of it over the years. And I'm because he is a filmmaker of color, I'm wondering if he has a bit more sensitivity to the idea of whitewashing, which is like a huge thing that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast and, and uh, you know, all over SlashFilm.com. Um, what do you think about this whole concept <laughs> in general, Peter? Do you think YTT is a good uh, choice to make an Akira movie? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because weren't at one point they were going to, you know, have a white actor play the lead and they were going to set it in future New York instead of Tokyo. Yeah, um, and I think that part, I think New Manhattan instead of Neo Tokyo is yeah. actually maybe still the same setting uh, as of right now. But maybe if YTT comes on, he, you know, he's a writer as well. So maybe he'll sort of, uh, you know, take a swipe at the, at the script and see if he can update some stuff. And that part may not um, make it into the final product whenever we may see such a thing. But yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like they they are aware of the sensitivities uh, around such a project uh, project coming out of Ghost in the Shell, mm -hmm. which had those controversies. And uh, Jordan Peele was rumored to be in line to direct this, I think, in March. So, um, I mean, it seems like they 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 want a director who can be uh, concerned about those kind of issues and has um, both a humor. Um, and I, I I didn't really think that. Akira needed a comedy director, but it seems like they're going after kind of these uh, uh, comedy directors. Um. Yeah, and, you know, is an interesting guy because he's, you know, he cut his teeth making super small movies. But from everything we've seen from Thor Ragnarok so far, it looks like he's been able to seamlessly transition into a massive budget, you know, mega blockbuster kind of movie and thrive in that environment as well. So obviously Warner Brothers is looking to, um, you know, avoid any sort of uh, pitfalls. And they're they're looking at his resume and saying, hey, this looks pretty good. So. Um, I, I saw the anime one time a few years ago and I don't really remember it being particularly funny. So it is a little weird that they're going after, uh, comedy guys, but maybe the project is just so serious that they're trying to, uh, provide some moments of levity here and there. And they just want guys who have that, uh, on their resume to be able to, to handle it. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm very excited about anything Taika uh, does. You know, I saw one of his first films, Eagle vs. Shark at, uh, I forget what film festival a long time ago. I am quoted on the DVD cover. So I've been a fan of his for such a long time. I'm, I'm getting to be an old man and, uh, <laughs> so much so that I am cynical about this. Even though we know that Taika is the you know top guy in the running for this, I I'm cynical that this is ever going to get made. I've been writing about this film for you know you said ten years, uh, you know going back in the slash film archives, you can see my uh, like one paragraph uh, post about this originally from <laughs> probably like 2007. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. 
We'll see. But uh, Taika definitely has me more excited for this. And I know a lot of people probably haven't seen his work. You know, they're going to see his work in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I would urge everybody not to just go back and see uh, We Live in the Shadows. I feel like a lot of people discovered him with that. But go back and discover his his other uh, his other films. Um, they, they're all great. Uh, yes. But moving on. Matthew Vaughn is out promoting uh, Kingsman 2. Um, which is hitting theaters. Uh, and um, obviously he's being asked about a lot of things. He was the director of X-Men First Class, and uh, he originally wanted to apparently do a Wolverine, uh, young Wolverine prequel movie. Uh, he told he tells Uproxx that, quote, I didn't want to do a Days of Future Past next. I felt that one should be in... A trilogy and Days of Future Past should be the finale to that story. I would have done a film in between where you meet the young Wolverine in a new character and then in Days of Future Past become the young Wolverine and the old Wolverine and just blow blow it out. So that's what I would have done, but the studio didn't agree with me on that. And to be frank, as I said, it's not my sandbox. So I couldn't do anything about it. Um, also, it should be mentioned that Variety talked to uh, Fox chairman, CEO Stacy Snyder at the Emmys and asked if a Wolverine reboot, Wolverine could be rebooted. And uh, she gave the elusive anything's possible answer, which means that they aren't thinking about it, but it's possible. Right. Um, um, I, I think, you know, as long as Fox retains the rights to these X-Men movies, I think Wolverine is always going to be in play. He's a you know a major fan favorite character. And we'd be stupid to think that there won't be another Wolverine movie in the future. Um, so the question has been, do we need another Wolverine reboot this early? Um, maybe not this early, but, uh, it is interesting to note that Vaughn was talking about a young Wolverine facing off against an older Wolverine. And if you've seen Logan, spoiler alert for Logan, that movie's been out for a few months now. I think it's okay just to talk about it for just like two seconds. Uh, that movie includes a Wolverine versus Wolverine battle as HT points out in her article writing this up at Slash Film. So I, I think that's, um, maybe they you know, retained some of Vaughn's original pitch uh, in in Logan there. So that's kind of an interesting thing. I'm not sure about a full reboot of that character, though. The X-Men movies, as you mentioned, are going to be going on for a long, long time. But I think you got to give it a few years before you bring a new Wolverine into the mix. Well, I think they could, the way to do it, well, the way to do it would have been what Vaughn said. But I think now that they're going ahead with this, the way to do it is have a standalone Weapon X movie introducing you know logan as you know weapon x and wolverine and then the next x-men uh you know first class trilogy or series franchise whatever you want to call it uh bring him into that so introduce him as a separate movie and kind of do an avengers kind of uh you know introducing him into the mix yeah, I'm just wondering about that because, like, you've got um, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender and Jennifer Lawrence, who are the constants in this new, most recent trilogy. They are coming back for X Men: Dark Phoenix, but they can't be interested in sticking around for another 
whatever, 10 years in this franchise. So then that means that you're checking down to the next level, right? Which is like Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, Ty Sheridan as Cyclops, Alexandra Shipp as Storm. So you've got the even newer generation there. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you bring on a young Wolverine that's sort of more in line with them age-wise. And then, yeah, it's sort of combine the timelines uh, again. I mean, the X-Men movie timelines are so insane already. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you, because of that insanity, maybe there is a way to sort of um, backdoor that character in there. I, th- I think there is. Um, Matthew Vaughn is also, you know, when he's, he's out promoting Kingsman, the Golden Circle, and people are asking him, do you want to do a Kingsman 3? And his answer is no. No, his answer is actually yes. Because <laughs> you know, whenever you ask a filmmaker if they want to make a sequel uh, in West, they're like Matt Reeves or, you know, Chris Nolan. They say yes. Um, and he said to Cinema Blend that, uh, quote, I think there is a story in my head which will be finished at the end of the next one. So basically a third part, uh, quote. And then after that, of course, there could be a it could be statesman movies. There could be a, a spinoff character films. The universe could continue with new agents or, you know, Colin Firth uh, could become Arthur or a new character could come in or new character or new kids get trained. There's so many options, but I also think it's, it's better not to be greedy, unquote. So basically what he's saying here is, uh, you know, he's ready to make lots of money off this Kingsman franchise. Yeah. <laughs> as long as people are willing to pay for it. And honestly, I, I, I like the Kingsman movies. I, I the Kings, I've only seen the first one and I've seen uh, some clips from the second one. And I definitely see some world building in there that could be interesting for spinoff films. Um, and definitely there's the built in kind of James Bondish, like you can replace the main guy mm-hmm. in this franchise. Uh, are would you be excited to see more Kingsman movies? I mean, I think keep the main storyline going. That would be fine with me. The idea of spinoffs and and stuff like that with like the Statesman characters is not quite as interesting to me. I haven't seen Kingsman: The Golden Circle yet, but from doing a review roundup for that movie and sort of reading through a bunch of people's reactions to it. Um, one of the main through lines and and commonalities in all of those reviews is that a lot of the characters like Channing Tatum and Halle Berry and the the new sort of statesman characters sort of get short shrift in the new sequel. So I'm not sure if, you know, we're going to see enough of them to have anybody excited about seeing more of them or if people are just going to look at it as more of like a glorified cameo and then not really be too interested in what's going on. It seems like the idea for, um, you know, seeding those characters in for future spinoffs was like on Matthew Vaughn's mind when he was writing Kingsman 2. Um, So and this is also it should be noted his first sequel that he's done, even though he's made movies that sort of enter into other franchises. Um, You know, he didn't direct Kick-Ass 2 and X-Men First Class is sort of like its own kind of re, re, you know, like a soft reboot of the X-Men movies. Um, So it's interesting that he likes the Kingsman franchise enough to come back for a second one. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he is really into the idea of... uh, of, you know, keeping this thing going and actually directing these movies himself instead of just handing it off and maybe producing future spinoffs or something like that. But I, I don't know. I, I think I'll have to see the golden circle before I can fully say, 
oh yeah, I want to see a Channing Tatum movie or a, a Pedro Pascal spinoff movie or something like that. You know, it has just occurred to me that this episode is the milking a franchise to death uh, special edition. <laughs> Since most of the stories in the mailbox are gonna all have to do with that, yeah. so uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, HBO is planning yet another Game of Thrones prequel show. This is the fifth in development. You wrote the article for Slash Film. Tell us about it. Yes, so I should clarify, uh, as Casey Bloys, the head of HBO programming, did, that even though there are now five Game of Thrones prequels in development, that doesn't necessarily mean that all five are going to be greenlit or be on the air at the same time or, you know, air back to back or anything like that. Basically, they're taking like a shotgun blast approach to this thing and just hiring a bunch of different writers, having them collaborate with George R. R. Martin and, um, come up with different ideas and set in different time periods throughout Westerosi history, all before the events of the current Game of Thrones show that don't have anything to do with the characters that we have seen in the current show. And uh, HBO is just hoping that one of the five is good enough to pick up and move forward with. Um, we should also say that if they do greenlight a one of these prequels, it's not going to air Anytime immediately after the season eight finale, they're going to give it a little bit of breathing room before they just jump right back onto the Game of Thrones bandwagon. Oh. So, um, so, but it's very obvious that with as much resources and, and money at their th that they're throwing at this thing, that they definitely want to keep that world um, as a viable uh, playground for them to to play in and create new TV shows in. Yeah. Um, so the the latest update is that Brian Cogman, who is a writer producer on game of thrones right now is the person who's de de uh, developing the fifth prequel the fifth announced prequel show so um again nothing is like a fully official yet but george r, r. martin actually hinted at cogman's um involvement in a fifth uh prequel i think a couple months ago but that deal wasn't quite done yet so he didn't mention him by name but he was talking about how um he they you know he's been meeting with all the writers and stuff like that and he's excited about you know bringing all this stuff together bringing it all to life <laughs> anything basically to keep him from writing the fifth and or the uh, sixth and seventh book in the song of ice and fire series which fans have been waiting for forever but uh but yeah i mean it's brian cogman is one of those guys that he's written 10 episodes of the series so far he started out as an assistant to uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, and has worked his way up to become a writer and then a co-producer and now a full-on producer. So he's definitely paid his dues. He knows a lot about the world of Westeros. He actually wrote the series Bible for Game of Thrones back when he was, you know, in the, the very early days of the show. So he sort of strikes me as like um, almost like the, the Pablo Hidalgo of the Game of Thrones world, like somebody who is just, you know, has an encyclopedic knowledge of all of the the nooks and crannies of this uh this fictional world um so yeah I, I mean i think it's a good thing that he is involved in this because he knows arguably more than anybody else about this stuff aside from benioff and weiss who are not going to be involved with any of the prequels moving forward we've seen this kind of thing happen with a lot of uh, big blockbuster franchise films where they have like these parallel developments where they'll hire, you know, a bunch of different writers to work on a thing at the same time. We saw this with, um, I guess, the Transformers writing room 
mm-hmm. where a bunch of pe- you know people got in a room and came up with concepts and uh, eventually some of those concepts were like thrown together into one movie which came out and you know was really really not so good yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, let's hope that doesn't happen for Game of Thrones um, but uh, HBO obviously doesn't want to let the subscribers and the money end um, yeah yes so also in the news um, some news on the future of the Terminator franchise not that anybody wants more Terminator movies but James Cameron's producing uh, Tim uh, Tim Miller Tim Miller yes is directing and you wrote the news up last night what do we know Yeah, so at a screening of Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 3D on the Paramount Pictures lot last night, James Cameron and Tim Miller, who's the director of Deadpool, if people don't recognize that name immediately, uh, they met up and did like a QA and a and sort of announced um, some of the stuff that they're thinking about doing for the new Terminator movie that they've been announced to be working on. Uh, It still doesn't have a title, but... James Cameron himself announced that Linda Hamilton, who played Sarah Connor in the first two Terminator films, is officially coming back to reprise that role in their upcoming movie. Uh, Cameron says, as meaningful as she was to gender and action stars everywhere back then, it's going to make a huge statement to have that seasoned warrior that she's become return. There are 50-year-old, 60-year-old guys out there killing bad guys but there isn't an example of that for women. So I think he has a point there. You know, you've got Expendables movies, you've got Harrison Ford and Stallone, you know, kicking ass and making action movies well into their 60s. And you don't really have a good example of that uh, on the female side of things. So Sarah Connor being an iconic sci-fi heroine, uh, this could be good news. And Peter, you mentioned, you know, nobody really wants another Terminator movie. I was sort of right there with you. But this kind of thing, I think, is enough to actually turn me. It may be naive, but <laughs> it, it has me excited about a new Terminator movie. I feel like reading a lot of the comments that that Cameron has talked about, you know, has made about the potential and what he wants to do and how the themes of, you know, technology being potentially corrupted and and turned to evil uses and all that stuff and how relevant that still is in our day and age. Um, I feel like with him really involved instead of just, you know, slapping his name on it, I am more interested. And the idea of uh, Linda Hamilton coming back is like, you know, it's it's one of those things that it shows me that they're making the right decisions. I don't I've been burned a lot, Peter, by the Terminator franchise, as many fans has. But uh, but I, I feel like this has the potential to be pretty good. What do you think? Um, I do. I actually you know, I'm not uh, you know, I, I like the Terminator franchise and I actually didn't hate the last one. I think there were some interesting ideas at its core that, you know, that Skynet came around and we didn't fight against it you know we waited in line around the block to get it in our pocket mm-hmm. get it in our lives and i think that's an interesting idea was it well executed maybe not the best um but i think there's definitely something to be said with uh, today's era and uh with artificial intelligence uh, artificial intelligence being in our pockets and um and it seems like they're taking like uh you know neil Baumkamp wanted to have sigourney weaver in his alien uh, sequel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like they're taking the kind of the same uh, method here. And it, it also, I think he said in the past that this is going to be a sequel to the first two films. 
and yes. kind of discounting the 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 last few. Yeah, uh, so we don't we don't know a ton of details about the actual story, but we do know, and he, he reiterated again in this uh, Q and A event that this is going to be a direct sequel to Judgment Day, and. Um, sort of in line with the writer's room mentality we were just talking about, the sequel is based on a story that was created by Cameron but fleshed out with the help of a Terminator writer's room that included David Goyer, who worked on Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Charles Egley, who co-created the TV show Dark Angel with James Cameron back in the day, and Josh Friedman, who is working on one of the, uh, the Avatar sequels, and he also created Terminator The Sarah Connor Chronicles, so he knows that character particularly well. Um, so that room generated ideas for a new trilogy. Uh, but the idea being each of those movies could work as individual films, but it also has sort of an overarching thing. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming back as well, just to, you know, run down all of the hard facts that we know about this movie so far. There aren't that many. And then, um, we know that uh, this movie is also going to be creating an opportunity to sort of pass the torch to a new generation of actors. So Cameron said last night, quote, we're starting a search for an 18 something woman to be the new centerpiece of the, of the new story. We still fold time. We will still have characters from the future and the present. There will be mostly new characters, but we'll have Arnold and Linda's characters to anchor it, end quote. So that's pretty much all we know about this new Terminator movie. But like I said, I, I feel like. <laughs> Here, they're saying the right things to get me excited and I may end up having the rug pulled out for me once again but uh, I do like the the potential that this has so I I'm optimistic about this one you know since since we're, this is an all you know milking franchises to death show I will also mention something that we haven't written on the site but James Cameron says that Avatar 2 is uh, gonna be starting shooting next week um, I'll believe it when I see it but <laughs> right. um, uh, in, in in that line of things, uh, I know we don't have this on the docket, Ben, but uh, c- could you talk about um, what is going on with J.J. Abrams and Star Wars? Because I know you just wrote up this article for Slash Home. Paramount is apparently not happy with uh, you know him basically ditching them again yeah, for Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, so I guess when uh, Abrams, so Abrams has been, uh, he's he, Paramount has been his home studio since 2006, and I guess he has a lucrative deal with them where it's about $10 million a year for like overhead and development costs and stuff like that with his his relationship with Paramount. So he has the like the bad robot studios, but he also has office space on the Paramount lot. And um, in 2013, when he signed on to direct The Force Awakens, Brad Gray, who was the CEO of Paramount at the time, he's since passed away, um, I think just a few months ago. Yeah. He was not happy about Abrams leaving Paramount to go over to Disney and Lucasfilm to direct The Force Awakens because he thought that, you know, they, they had this deal and everything. So I guess after The Force Awakens yeah, was and I done. Think, I think Abrams was originally supposed to direct Star Trek uh, three. Okay. And that, that's why he handed it off to Justin Lin, and they were kind of not happy with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so after uh, Abrams finished The Force Awakens, apparently Brad Gray was, you know, went into this renegotiation process to try to basically force Abrams to direct his next movie for Paramount and not, you know, allow him to go to another studio because he thought that. That's what that was the deal they had, basically. But uh, now Jim Giannopoulos, who used to be the head of 20th Century Fox, he has now taken over the Paramount uh, CEO position. 
he was not happy when Abrams got hired to direct Star Wars Episode Nine because it was basically just a replay of the whole thing that happened a few years earlier. So, yeah, Paramount is not thrilled about this, but they don't really have a lot of leverage right now. They're a studio that has not had a bunch of hits this year. They've they've been fairly battered at the box office, uh, most recently with Darren Aronofsky's mother only making like seven and a half million dollars in its opening weekend. So and they're now running advertisements on TV promoting the bad reviews saying yeah. come see what everybody's talking about which is yeah. just a, a, insane yeah <laughs> it's it's a cool tactic I think I, I appreciate them sort of fully leaning into that but yeah apparently um, Paramount has like accommodated Abrams move but they basically didn't really have much of an alternative right like they could have fought him about it but then that would have pissed him off and he has a, a production deal with them that is set to expire in 2018 and they're hoping that he once he's done with episode nine comes back to the you know into the paramount fold and continues to make movies with them he's still producing the cloverfield uh franchise for example then that those are paramount movies um and then also paramount probably doesn't want to make enemies of disney and and kathy kennedy you know just by like stirring stuff up so i think uh, their hope is that he comes back and just sort of you know picks up and it's business as usual after this uh star Wars thing is over. Yeah, and I, I know there's a bunch of other projects that he's producing for Paramount. There's like some kind of film called Coma, which I think Daisy Ridley's attached to. Uh, we've reported about it on the site. A uh, bunch of stuff in the works. Um, but I think they want him back as a director. You know, yeah. I mean, not just as yeah. a producer. Uh, so we'll have to see how this uh, it, it turns out. But um, let's move on to the mailbag, and uh, which has a Star Wars-related question. Phil in Los Angeles asked, my ultimate hope is that somewhere down the line, Lucasfilm reboots the prequels and tells a story about the fall of Anakin Skywalker with stakes and characters that we can root for and care about. Do you think a prequel reboot is possible sometime down the line? Cheers. Okay, now th- I think this question is interesting. Not that I want to see a prequel reboot, um, but I think it's interesting because... Uh, we got to look past our uh, our end lives and and accept that almost everything is probably going to be rebooted at some point, right? Like I, I know we're seeing classics being re- be being remade now, uh, films you know not only just fifty years ago being remade, but like films you know uh, what RoboCop came out in the eighties and they've remade that a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, there are some of these like gold standard classics like Star Wars or Back to the Future or Jaws that we have yet to see um, being remade um, in any way, uh, probably. uh, But I think that's probably only a matter of time. I think uh, eventually they're going to. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to keep on. They're not going to keep on doing the Skywalker Saga series. But I think eventually the greatest stories of all time, think about it like, you know, uh, Shakespeare plays are -hmm. still put on today and remade today. Uh, You know, we 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 get it's 
just going to happen with this new medium that things are going to be remade for generations to come. We're seeing Disney animated movies being remade as live action and now being remade as live action or, you know, computer animated posed as live action. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, I think we will eventually get to see S- Star Wars remade. Uh, what do you think? So I think there are two distinct questions here or topics here, really. I am. Well, I mean, they blend together. But I think uh, on one hand, as far as Star Wars prequels go, I, I think George Lucas probably had the idea of like, let me tell the Anakin Skywalker story. And then he built you know, three movies around that. So it's primarily Anakin's story. And to me, what this question means is a lot of people just want more Darth Vader, right? And that's something that we've been talking about a lot with the upcoming Star Wars movies and like that character appeared in Rogue One. And, you know, that's a character that has an iconography that's instantly recognizable. Everybody knows who Darth Vader is. That's probably why Disney is leaning so hard on that sort of familiarity, you know, to try to launch and and relaunch Star Wars back into the public consciousness. But I think people love that character. And I think that's where if I'm allowed to uh, to psychoanalyze Phil for a second here, I, I'm guessing that's probably probably why he asked this question is because he just wants more Darth Vader. I'm not so sure that they'll actually reboot the prequels and and tell the Anakin story again, because if you think about it, it's the same kind of thing as them rebooting the original trilogy and telling the Luke story again. And that doesn't really seem like something that they would actually do. So I think as the Star Wars universe continues to expand, hopefully they'll get further and further away from those stories and find their own sort of interesting ground to tread elsewhere. But as far as the, you know, what I think about other, um, you know, classic movies being rebooted and stuff like that. Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at what Marvel and, and Disney have done with that, um, a de-aging technology, uh, in my interview with Kurt Russell, when I talked to him for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, he was talking about how they used some of that de-aging technology in the very beginning of that film. And he was talking about how he doesn't think it's too far off from, you know, a, a movie where somebody portrays a character that's, you know, 20 or 30 years younger than themselves for the entire movie. Um, and that I think that is maybe how we're going to get uh, quote unquote reboots is, is that they'll maybe use the same actors and digitally de-age them or maybe have other people stand in and do like performance capture stuff, but, but, you know, um, overlay them with a digitally de-aged, uh, version of that character to basically continue the stories, maybe not do a full remake or a reboot of them. But I think, and this Terminator thing is a good example. By the way, I just want to interject here, uh, because we ran this article about, um, some people that might appear in, in infinity or no Avengers four on the site today, which you can read that Chris wrote up. And um, he was talking a little bit about um, Samuel Jackson and this other character that I'm not going to mention that has died in the MCU, possibly appearing uh, in Avengers 4. But Samuel Jackson's appearing in uh, or he could appear in Captain Marvel and Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel set in the 1990s. Samuel Jackson's going to have two eyes. We know that. Um, And Marvel has already R&D'd this de-aging and you know with michael douglas and ant-man robert downey jr uh in one of the iron man movies and um most recently kurt russell with guardians Mm -hmm. of galaxy i i I imagine that samuel jackson we see 
in Captain Marvel and maybe even this other actor who I won't mention uh, could be, you know, de-aged versions of themselves because they have to be mm-hmm. playing 20 years younger versions yeah. of themselves, right? Yeah, for sure. Totally. And and I think that that sort of leads into the last point I was going to make, which is if you look at the way that um, Hollywood seems to be approaching these uh, sort of quote unquote classic franchises like the Terminator thing is a good example where the filmmakers are now picking and choosing which movies that currently exist are the ones that they're going to pay attention to and and basically canonize. Um, and so like. Uh, the new Terminator is just going to be a direct sequel to Terminator Judgment Day, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and it's going to ignore all the other ones. And how the new Halloween movie is going to be doing the same thing. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back to play Laurie Strode uh, once again, but they're basically going to be just looking at the first Halloween or maybe the first Halloween and Halloween 2 and then ignoring all the stuff that came after that. So I think that kind of mentality is maybe what studios will do. I think maybe there's the potential that we see like a back to the future four um, with like a digitally de-aged um, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd or like, you know, other actors standing in for them and then I, getting I, overlaid or something as opposed to a straight remake or reboot well, of. Well, we've back been seeing a lot of that recently with these kind of legacy equals where like, you know, it's like Tron legacy where, you're kind of repeating the story or even, I guess, Star Trek, I mean, Star Wars The Force Awakens, where you're kind of redoing some a lot of the beats of that original. You're kind of re- rebooting it in a way, mm-hmm. but having some of the old characters be there, the legacy yeah. characters. Um, I think it is interesting what you say about Darth Vader, because I think that's what he's getting to. He wants to see more of Darth Vader. Um you know, the comics are doing a great job at this. If you're not reading any of the Star Wars comics, um, you know, they have a they're doing some stuff set after uh, New Hope and before Empire Strikes Back. Uh, if you think about this, you know, the Death Star has blown, been destroyed by a, a t- ragtag group of rebels. You know, Darth Vader is to blame. You know, the Empire, the Emperor is like pissed at him. And not only that, he discovers that the person responsible was his son. Um, and I, I think there's some great stuff there that could be adapted into a standalone movie or even maybe between revenge of the Sith and a new hope. You could do some stuff there as well. Um, I, I definitely see the reaction to the rogue one, uh, his role in rogue one, uh, has probably gotten Disney, like, you know, counting their dollar bills and being like, you know, we need to do some more stuff with Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, the question is, I, I guess, is if they were to ever remake Star Wars, would they start with A New Hope or would they start at the beginning of the saga? Man, that's a that's a tough one. Um, it's, I, I think it depends a lot on when this uh, this potential thing were to happen. Right. I think if you I think it's still too fresh, like the prequels are still um still have a bad taste in in people's mouths you know people are still like you, you, you not say that but we, we just saw you know spider-man homecoming you know what a couple years after the amazing spider-man uh franchise crashed and burns well that's true but i feel like there's i feel like you can recast that character and and sort of return that character to the studio that uh that will treat him the right way and and it's a little bit different than um 
you know, Lucas, like Darth Vader and Anakin and all that stuff, the Star Wars movies have always been with Lucasfilm. These are the same sort of, um, I mean, I guess George Lucas is gone now. So that's that's the big uh, X factor. He was the ultimate overseer of everything. And now you definitely have a new generation of people behind the scenes. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I, I know in terms of watching the movies, Drew McWeeny has this article online on HitFix, I think, of how he the, the order he decided to show the films to his kids. Mm-hmm. And that was A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, you know, ends with uh, the revelation, uh, spoiler alert, of uh, <laughs> Darth Vader being Luke's father. And yep. then having A Phantom Menace... Uh, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith as a flashback Interesting. set in between there and then going to Return of the Jedi. And I think that order is actually very cool. Uh, actually, now, since that, you know, Rogue One is in the mix. I'm not sure if you add that into <laughs> into the, the, that ordering right. at all. Um, but uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I just think um, I know we've talked in the past on, on Slash Film Daily about ruining the mystique of these iconic characters. And I think the biggest problem with the the Star Wars prequels is we want Darth Vader to be cool. And there's no way to be cool when you're showing kind of like the down, you know, the, showing this guy kind of turn to the dark side. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part of the reason why I feel like there's going to be more um, side stories or or like sequels, um, you know, like late game sequels like I was, t- I was talking about before, like Back to the Future 4 or something like instead of seeing a prequel of like how Marty and uh, Doc, you know, became friends or whatever, you can just continue that story using cutting edge technology and um and that way you give people more of the characters that they love. And, you know, like uh, Darth Vader remains cool by still having him at like peak coolness <laughs> with this sort of, you know, side story or whatever set in a certain period of time without having to go all the way back to the beginning and fill in details that would, yeah, lose the mystique of that character. Yeah. Well, don't give Robert Zemeckis any ideas about Back to the Future, my favorite <laughs> film. But uh, thankfully, him and screenwriter Bob Gale have said that as long as both of them are alive, a Back to the Future sequel or remake will never happen. Um, and I think that they have some control over the rights to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, you know what I would honestly like to say, uh, see, and I, I know we're running a little bit long here, but I've had this pitch for a, the longest time for a Jaws sequel slash reboot. And I know that's sacrilegious. Um, Jaws is a masterpiece. But I just want to pitch it right here uh, because I'll, I'll never have a chance to pitch it to Steven Spielberg, <laughs> uh, who has no interest in making Jaws movies. But I think that you should base a Jaws sequel uh, now, you know, 40 years later set in amity um and it's following uh brody's son and it as it as if we'll take a cue from you know terminator and all the other the sequels never happened Mm -hmm. right and that hollywood came and actually made a movie about the events that you know that inspired jaws 
you know, there weren't any events, but like in this world, there were events that mm-hmm. inspired Jaws. And basically, Amity became kind of like this tourist destination for, you know, two decades. People came there, you know, in a kind of like a tourist trap. And, uh, you know, in the 90s, you know, the dinosaur craze kind of overtook the nation and Amity kind of in the, the last decade has kind of fallen into, you know, it's kind of a one of those shitty tourist towns yeah. and uh you know Bro- Brody's son is the the chief and someone gets killed in the water is it a shark is it someone tr- from the town trying to you know reignite interest in in the town this uh seaside town uh i i think there could be something interesting to to revisit amity uh you know four decades after jaws <laughs> Yeah, and that also sounds like an opportunity to explore the ideas about nostalgia, which uh, is a big thing in our culture right now, too. Um, so, yeah, I can see how that could work. Uh, and and I think you could also write off the Jaws sequels as sequels that Hollywood made that were based on nothing, you know. Yeah, that's like, fun. In I like that, that universe. And, mm-hmm. I, and I also like the idea that uh, in that universe, Steven Spielberg exists. And, you know, his <laughs> own creation of uh, or his own movie, Jurassic Park, kind of was the downfall of yeah. Amity as a tourist destination. This movie will never happen. Uh, <laughs> but if it does, you heard it here first. That's a fun pitch. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I think we have reached the end of this podcast. If you want to submit questions to the mailbag, send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention them on the air. Thanks to Phil in L.A. Um, you can find more of my work at Slash Film. You can find uh, Ben at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find all of our work at SlashFilm.com. Uh, all the stories we mentioned today, all the milking of franchises, you can find it every day at SlashFilm.com. And... Um, you can subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Go rate and review us on iTunes, guys. We are what? What were we? Number we're I think in the number time. nine. Number, number nine, nine yeah. on t- TV and film on iTunes. Uh, finally, now that the Game of Thrones, you know, the dozens of Game of Thrones podcasts, no one's listening to them. We we have finally <laughs> had a chance to shine at the top. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for for making that possible. You're you're. You're listening, you're rating, you're reviewing. Spread the word, help us out. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, and we love all the letters that you're sending us. Um, uh, in, that's a Peter at slashfilm.com. I share it with the whole crew whenever you email us. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>